Hello everyone, my name's uh, Phil Mottram and I'm the Vice President at Hewlett Packard Enterprise for our Communications and Technology Group. I lead a division with about 5,000 people and all we do is we produce software that we sell to telecoms companies and hyperscalers around the world. And I'm here today to discuss the topic around 5G and will 5G change the world? I'm naturally skeptical, so I'm not going to go as far as to say it's going to completely change the world, but I think it's going to help push it forward. This is Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the usually weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. First, in an effort to get to know our guest a little bit better, we like to pose three questions from the Proust questionnaire. Phil, are you ready for those? I certainly am. Question number one. What do you consider your greatest achievement? This one's an easy one. So in 2015, I completed the uh, World Ironman Championships in Kona, Hawaii, um, raising about $40,000 for charity. And that involves a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and then a full marathon. Uh, I didn't win it, <laughs> but it's a weird event because you have about... 2,200 people doing it, 2,000 of whom are the best athletes in the world. So they've all qualified around the world to earn their place. And then you have kind of 200 people at the back, like me, uh, competing in this event just to raise money for charity. So I raised it for a charity in the UK called Scope, which was a brilliant cause. It was a long day. It was, I think it took me about 15 hours, 40 minutes. It was very, very hot in Hawaii, as you would imagine. But yeah, it's the pinnacle of Ironman events. So that's definitely my greatest achievement. And question number two, Phil, what is the trait you most deplore in others? Yeah, the trait I most deplore in others um, would be people who can't take responsibility for their own actions. And I'm sure, you know, occasionally in your life, you meet people like this who make big mistakes but then always try and pin the blame on someone else or even worse put it back on you and it's kind of yeah that really frustrates me i think one of the finest qualities in individuals is everyone gets things wrong everyone makes mistakes but when you do at least have the guts to say you know what i messed up there and i'm going to take full responsibility for that and the third question what or who is the greatest love of your life the greatest love of my life this is very simple is my daughter l who is now um, 11, and she was my first child. And I don't know, people talk about this daddy-daughter bond, but she's just amazing to me. She's everything. All right, now let's uh, explore this, this 5G topic. What makes you uh, excited about it and, and what drives that skepticism? But uh, to start, you know, in the U.S., we've got all three carriers. They're claiming nationwide coverage. They're in the U.K. We've seen Vodafone, EEO2 uh, make some limited coverage available, largely in, in urban core areas, but they have fairly uh, aggressive build-out plans coming up. But right now, regardless of where you are, this is very much a consumer-facing offering, and there's not really a clear path to return on the investment because there's not a, a premium associated with it. In 2021, I'm curious what your expectations are around expanding the feature set beyond just that EMBB to support enterprise-facing services that would seemingly be the opportunity for 
new services and new service revenues so operators can start to see ROI against the billions that they've spent on uh, building these networks? Yeah. Yeah, look, I think it's a really good question. And I've worked, by the way, most of my life in telecoms companies. So I've been the CEO of a mobile operator. And it's kind of interesting when the 5G investments come around and the business case for doing it, you know, the, the sums of money that are being plowed into what is essentially an infrastructure upgrade are very significant. And when you look at where the return opportunities are for the telecoms companies, it's actually quite difficult because on the consumer side, I don't think anyone's expecting their consumer customers to pay any more for a 5G service over a 4G service. So the incremental revenue upside in consumer is pretty low. And that's where people then look at the enterprise opportunity or other services. And I think with 5G, people have to remember there's almost two sides to 5G. So there's 5G in the RAN, which is kind of on the edge. And that's going to make your, you know, your network go a bit faster, your download speeds on your phone a bit quicker. But then there's something that HPE is more interested in, which is, H, which is 5G in the core. And when you have 5G working in the core, you're able to do something called network slicing. And with network slicing, you can prioritize different channels, different parts of the network, and then you can offer different services. And I think that's really important for telecoms companies because then what they'll be able to do is build new services for enterprise customers where potentially they might be able to charge more money and get a return on the investments that they're making. You, you make a good point. I mean, uh, from my perspective uh, at our news organization, every day there's at least a few stories about 5G RAN investments. And, uh, you know, understandably so. The, the goal here in the early days is to get these non-standalone networks up and running where you, reductively speaking, just add some radios and some 5G component carriers. But now we're starting to see this transition from non-standalone to standalone, which means cloud-native core comes into play. And as you said, network slicing, you create these end-to-end logical virtual partitions in support of, uh, you know, whatever enterprise or use case or application, then you put that against a service level agreement. But as it relates to network slicing and this revenue opportunity associated with it, I'm curious to get your perspective on the strategy you think operators will take in standing up these slices. Do you think that we'll go from you know, one network with dozens of more slices all at once, or will it be a gradual ramp where maybe public traffic lives on one slice and there's a slice for IOT devices, and then maybe we'll get into slices for particular enterprise customers? How do you think that'll play out? Yeah, I think it's more likely to be the latter approach, the kind of incremental step by step. So I would imagine if you're an operator, you know, ideally you don't, you have to be careful with introducing too many slices because you want to make full use of a network if possible. Um, so really, in an ideal world, you don't want any congestion. You don't want anything in a slow lane. You want everything in a fast lane. But but where you are deploying slicing, I would imagine the way it will kind of play out will be, yeah, a slice for consumer customers. There may be a different slice for business customers to make sure that they've got a differentiated level, level of service. Um, IOT, as you mentioned. I can also see them being some slices for very critical services, be that maybe emergency services networks. So, you know, 999, 911 type operator stuff. Um, also, I think for autonomous vehicles, those sorts of um, services where any congestion in a network 
could be pretty um, disastrous um, if there was any. And then also, I wonder as well whether we might see some regional slices as well, because if I think about where I grew up, I grew up in the northwest of uh, England, and there was a kind of town nearby called Ellesmere Port. And Ellesmere Port didn't have a big population, I guess populations, I don't know, 75,000 people, something like that. But there's a huge oil refinery um, in Ellesmere Port. And you kind of wonder whether there's an opportunity there for the telecoms operators as they're making their, their investments. You know, for them to deploy 5G for 75,000 people is quite difficult. But if they can turn around to the company that owns the oil refinery and says, I'll tell you what, we're going to upgrade the network to 5G. And then you can take a slice of it to automate your refinery over this kind of 20, 30 mile square radius that you've got this huge oil refinery, then that's where I think we could start to see an interesting business case. So I wonder whether we'll see a kind of incremental approach and potentially some regional slicing as well. Bill, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, distribution of compute and storage throughout the network. Uh, you know, with 5G, I think a lot of the really interesting use cases come up around manufacturing automation and other things that you could maybe put under the umbrella of industry 4.0. Uh, I think back in June, HP came out with a edge orchestrator that was part of a, a sort of bigger announcement around giving power back to uh, the enterprise end user. But as it relates to edge, who do you think takes the lead here? Do you see operators just greenfield building out new edge compute nodes Will they look at their existing infrastructure, try to co-locate that edge computing where they can? Uh, will they work with public cloud providers to use infrastructure that's already been deployed? Or, you know, in that enterprise case, is there maybe on-prem cloud investments that can be leveraged in service of, of edge compute when combined with, with 5G? Or is it just going to be a, a combination of, of all of these things? How, who do you think kind of takes ownership of the edge? I mean, I think this is the biggest thing that's going to hit the industry now for the next couple of years. I mean, I think this is the multi-billion dollar question because, you, as you quite rightly say, you've kind of got this, there's almost three worlds as I see it. So you have the hyperscalers who've got their public computing platforms and they have to be able to land the applications at the edge because if they don't, they're going to lose ground to each other. Um, so you've got the hyperscalers essentially moving into the territory of the telecoms providers. You've got the telcos saying, well, actually, I'm already at the edge, because if you're providing the wide area network for an enterprise customer, you know, each one of their locations, you're providing, you know, a router, security, firewall, maybe wireless LAN, whatever it might be. And so actually to add the compute stack on top of that isn't a huge step. And if you don't do it, by the way, you run the risk of becoming the dumb pipe if the hyperscaler comes in and takes over your position. And then, as you quite rightly highlight as well, you will also have some enterprise customers that say, do you know what, we can actually do this ourselves. Um, and they might take a solution from, you know, well, we, we've got a great portfolio under the uh, Aruba umbrella where enterprise customers buy kind of SD-WAN, wireless networking, all of these different types of technologies. And so, you know, they could extend their own uh, position from a DIY perspective and just add compute. But I, I, think you're, I think you're right. This is, I think this is the biggest thing that's going to hit the industry. And then in terms of how it's playing out, and you've seen Microsoft buy 
affirmed a meta switch recently, and I get the sense that is to further their communications capability to be able to land the Azure platforms out at the edge. You've got Amazon with their wavelength and outpost initiatives. Uh, and and I, I would imagine the way it will play out will be you'll see a kind of hybrid approach where telecoms companies will partner with the hyperscalers, but also they'll give the opportunity to customers to be able to buy a more managed service from a telco. So, but I think it's a big, it, you know, it's a big kind of industry forming um, problem that we're going to see over the next couple of years, whether it's a, you know, it's a problem or an opportunity, depending on which side you're on it. But I think it's going to be a big thing. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. You know, we have these kind of um, uh, converging trends around private networking where enterprises can take that DIY approach uh, if they'd like to. Uh, part of that is spectrum access liberalization. We have CBRS in US and then across EU, we're seeing these spectrum set-asides for enterprise, for industrial players. Then we've got disaggregation and virtualization of the equipment, making it a little more consumable, make it look a little bit more like an IT network, which is appealing to an enterprise for a number of reasons. So, you know, you mentioned Microsoft. Uh, we syndicate a column at RCR uh, from Jim Patterson. He posed the question right around the time of the meta switch and affirmed acquisitions, is, is Microsoft angling to become the new Ericsson? So I, I just be curious to get your take on how you see these just sort of industry dynamics changing between one operators and hyperscalers and then two between traditional NEPs like Ericsson, like Nokia, and what we might think of as, as cloud or IT equipment providers. Is there an opportunity for market disruption or is the addressable market size and the, the needs of that market sufficiently large that we'll see more of this kind of ecosystem approach? Yeah, I th look, I think the good news is it's a huge market, right? So, and, and then in terms of how it plays out, you know, I think for the traditional NAPs, so the likes of Ericsson, those such guys, you know, they're under pressure, obviously, to adopt more of an open approach, which they're doing. So, you know, they're making logical steps to follow where the market and customers are going. And also, I think with both Ericsson and um, Nokia, you're seeing them kind of partition their business a bit more as they recognize this opportunity in enterprise, enterprise 5G, private 5G, the edge, et cetera. So they're definitely starting to make more of a play from a technology perspective into those markets. I guess what will be interesting for them is to see whether they've actually got the right route to market because the likes of Ericsson and Nokia are probably less known to enterprise customers versus you know someone like a HPE. Ourselves, obviously what we're doing is We've got fantastic infrastructure technology, and we are bundling that with our software and our capabilities um, to make sure that we've got some compelling edge offers for customers. And the whole company strategy behind HPE is to be able to offer all of our products and services on a consumption-based model for customers, because we, we really want customers to have the choice between kind of public or private cloud. And, and when they're making that decision in full transparency, have a like-for-like -like offer. And that's what HP is delivering into the market. And then with regard to the operators and the hyperscalers, you know, for the hyperscalers, it is a new, it's a new area for them to play in because obviously they're stepping outside of the big data centers that they own and they're going to have to deploy their technology at the edge. But the, the hyperscalers have two things going for them. One is they've got 
money, right? So they can throw money at the problem to make sure they get the problem right. And then the other thing they've got going for them is they've got the appeal of the developers. So, so if the developers in a company are making the, the decisions about you know, the underlying infrastructure and how the application is deployed at the edge, then the development, the development community is more likely to be drawn towards the hyperscaler. If, however, it's deemed to be more of a network decision, then clearly the network departments of enterprise customers are going to be way more familiar with the telcos. And what they're going to be saying to the telcos is, hey, look, you're providing all this infrastructure for me today on a managed service basis. Can you add a simple compute flat platform to sit on top of it with some software and manage that as part of the stack? And I would think that would be relatively simple for the telecoms companies to do. And by doing that, they prevent becoming a dumb pipe. Because I guess if you're the telco, you're worried that if the hyperscaler starts with a compute platform at the edge, where else are they going to go? Are they then going to start providing, I don't know, a virtual firewall, virtual routing technologies, et cetera, et cetera, at some point? you as the telco could find yourself um, absolutely becoming a, a dumb pipe to the enterprise. And when you're a dumb pipe, it's difficult really to establish any form of differentiation. So yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out for all parts of the market. As I say, I think the good news is it's a big market. Um, and But yeah, I think we're going to have an interesting couple of years ahead of us just to see where all this, uh, where all this plays out. So Phil, at the, the top of the show, you said that the potential for 5G to change the world is there, but you're, you're skeptical about how that, that goes forward, you know, based on our, our conversation here and, and previous conversations on this show, you know, it's not a yes or no answer to that question. Uh, it's more about kind of framing how you answer that question. So I'm curious if you, you see sort of, uh, is it a cumulative impact? You know, if you can gradually increase productivity, across manufacturing lines, then plants, then global footprints, and uh, slowly kind of change the workforce dynamics and then apply that to other industrial sectors? You know, do you eventually have enough small impacts that you create material substance and change? But just, you know, what's a, a little context for how yeah. you think about and measure the ability of a technology to, to really change things at scale? Yeah, they, they have this, <clears throat> there's a thing called the general purpose technology, a GPT, which are technologies that are deployed or advancements that are deployed through history that have huge impact on economies, nations, the world. And, and some of the example ones that have been listed in history are the steam engine, the printer, uh, electricity, internet, and aeroplanes, right? So, so you know, in terms of something that's going to change the world, that's your yardstick, right? Or your benchmark. And I don't know, I was reading articles about 18 months ago saying, yeah, 5G is going to be the new GPT, general purpose technology. And I'm not sure it's going to have the same impact, that, uh, you know, that the invention of modern day airplanes, for example, has had. But I think it's going to be a step along the way, isn't it? Like all technology, it just pushes the world further. And I think there's, we're going to see a, Kind of two sides to it really there's going to be things that that we don't see so they're not very visible to us but will have impact and i think that's kind of along the lines of industry 4.0 where you have manufacturing companies 
oil refineries, the general industrial sector that probably historically hasn't had such an easy access to this sort of technology to be able to automate and improve their operations. And with 5G, they get that. So I think you know, that should have quite a big impact on the productivity, quality of those industrial companies. But that'll be visible to them. It won't be visible to you and I kind of walking down the street. But I think we should see a bit of a revolution there. And then I think the other side of it is obviously there'll be various things that we will see, but it's more of an advancement of technologies that we know today. But 5G is just an enabler, isn't it, with autonomous vehicles, smart cities, and, and just increasingly everything becoming more digital. So that's the way I think 5G is going to pan out. Is it going to change the world? I wouldn't go that far. Is it going to push the world in the right direction and another step, along the right, uh, step in the right direction? Absolutely. Phil, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts, give us a, a little reality check on, on what 5G is, is actually going to, to do for all of us and uh, answer that question, will 5G change the world? My pleasure. It was great to uh, talk to you. Will 5G change the world? This is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kenny. Thanks for listening.